Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Mavens Havens podcast. Today, I'm joined by yet another brilliant entrepreneur, Jeevan, who has uh, created a um, a pretty cutting edge product called Human Eleven. It's an exponential operating system. And um, since I am not entirely uh, familiar with the concept, I mean, I know what an operating system is, but not an exponential operating system. Uh, I want to kick things off by giving Jeevan a, a chance to tell us all about that, of course, after he's had a chance to introduce himself. In any event, Jeevan, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, thank you for the interest and in taking the time to, uh, to talk with me about this. So uh, I'm a futurist living in Vancouver, and like you said, I'm working on an exponential operating system called Human 11. Excellent. So there are a lot of great places we could start, like with your background and such, but I am really kind of interested in what an exponential operating system is, since, as I said, I'm not acquainted with the concept. So maybe we could start there and you could tell us all about that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll give, give it my best shot because it's something that I've been working on for over a decade. And exponential operating system is the best way I've been able to describe what it is but it's something that's constantly evolving as well. Um, normally operating systems, OSs, allow us to do operations online. Um, the reason I'm calling it an exponential operating system is because it does more than just operations. It actually helps you uh, orbit and orient yourself before you use an operating system, which is a little bit of a counterintuitive idea as, as to why you need to orient yourself before you use a computer. But if you look at the day and age we're in, there's an abundance of almost information overload online. And uh, people are being like, there's a level of confusion and uh, yeah, just overwhelmed with the amount of information that comes in through our screens. And so I've, I've looked at the screen as like an open portal that is constantly giving us stuff. And right now we're just turning it on or off. But I believe we actually need something in between the on and off before we enter the internet. Huh, I, I never, I've never thought about that. That's, that's very interesting. I mean, the points you make are absolutely right. I think anyone out watching this or not watching this would agree we're suffering from information overload. I know I feel that way all the time. I think I've even read somewhere, recent studies have found that human attention spans by and large have uh, shortened. They've decreased probably because we're getting bombarded and we can't, um, you know, that, that lack of focus is evidence of what you're saying. So um, it's a, a great uh, problem you're seeking to uh, solve there. So I understand this is a benefit to the end user, people like me opening my computer, logging on. Um, I guess I kind of want to dive into how what that really means. I guess, you know, what you see the experience being like um, and how people use this. So Human 11 starts uh, with the pause button. And the pause is necessary before we fall into the ocean of the internet. So this pause first allows you to choose whether you want to enter the internet privately or publicly. And the reason 
for this divide is that right now we have to, in a way, use our identities to go in. And then our data is being mined by companies for many reasons to uh, predict our patterns. So Human 11 first gives you a digital, like a universal digital twin, like an avatar. And you can go into the internet privately, or you can bring in all of your existing data and then use it publicly. So that's the second step. And then it takes another step and it asks you how you're doing. And here it takes your profile and it asks you uh, in three different areas of your body how you're doing. Your body, your heart, and your mind. The reason it asks these three things is to know how to um, uh, basically orient you in the world, in the internet, in the ocean of information. And if your mind's not doing that great, it kind of points you towards things that can help you uh, heal the parts of your mind that are suffering from either anxiety, depression, overwhelm, etc. If uh, it's your heart, for example, it might send you towards connected networks where you can meet people and make connections or anything that heals the heart. And then the same thing for the body. So these three centers are first um, acknowledged and then afterwards, there's another layer that lets you go into the internet. Uh, this thing needs to be only kind of set once and afterwards you can change it at any time, but it completely transforms how we interact with technology and digital spaces, which are, which are just merging with human life right now with AR and VR and everything else that's going on. Wow, that's 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 pretty great. Um, I, uh, I had a few thoughts. Um, you know, I, I guess um, what first comes to mind is, I guess, how did you know, for lack of a more articulate way to put it, that this is kind of the way to help people? Um, so what I what I mean by that is. You know, I with the first thing you said about how it uh, kind of pauses you before you go on. I think that's a great tool. Um, people may overlook the importance of one thing I've noticed is to try and cut social media addiction. It helps to really log out. That way, you don't just mindlessly open your Facebook again and just go surfing. If you're prompted to actually put in your credentials and do the effort, you might pause and say, "You know what? I don't need to do this," and you can cut down on your time. So I'm kind of curious how you discovered um, you know these this is what you wanted to build into the operating system because you were certain it's uh, gonna provide people with the tools to really you know provide the help you're looking to provide <laughs> that's a great question um, uh, there are a few ways I can answer that but I'm thinking of what's coming up for me right now which is that I discovered this Thing that was missing because when I look at computers and where they came from to me what I see is compute her basically the masculine energy of the world creating almost a synthetic version of the feminine energy and uh, usually when there's a gap like that there's something missing in between to um, connect those two so 
in a way, um, computers are, uh, because of the amount of information overload, in modern life, we're basically imploding and exploding like in our heads with too much info. In the past, it was very physical, uh, like physical danger, physical explosions. But now all of the problems in the world are internal. They're within people. And within people, uh, like these addictions, these compulsions that we have to use the internet are the same compulsions we've had to connect with each other, like between uh, polarities, between masculine and feminine, um, just polarities. And I don't mean male and female. I really mean like, uh, like uh, essences of polarity those two uh, poles they usually in order to connect they need something in between they need like a, they need a bridge and a barrier and when there's no bridge and barrier um, the information is just going into our systems and we don't always know what to do with it so our nervous system is wired in a way to react to our computers and so it's mostly because a lot of us don't know exactly what we want and we are looking everywhere in the world for it. And because we have access to the internet, we can find almost anything online. But finding almost anything is like diving into the ocean hoping you find the perfect fish for you. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know if I answered your question yet, but I'm willing to give it another shot if it wasn't clear. No, I, I mean, that was a great answer. Uh, whichever answer you give is the right one. So, but if you have any more thoughts around that you want to share, um, you know, please do. Sure. I, I'll tell you a little bit about my history. So maybe that'll um, clarify how I came to this um, point where I think screens and computers are missing human 11, a pause before. I, That's a I great worked... segue. Yeah. Okay, great. I worked in uh, visual effects and in film for about 15 years. And in that field, I painted and created virtual environments. I uh, drew a lot of portraits of people. And essentially, I created um, seamless, invisible integrations in film. So someone would film someone on green screen, and I would create the background in different layers using pictures and 3D and painting. So I would relight things, I would move things around, and I would work a lot with composition and making something realistic. And uh, which means that if I do my job well, when someone watches a movie, they can't tell that the background is fake or they can't tell that the shot has been enhanced by the work that I've done or uh, everyone else in the in, that's worked on it. So I did that for 15 years and I really learned how to draw in two different ways. Um, this is usually called drawing on the right side of the brain and on the left side, which means that I can draw like a photocopying machine, just seeing what I see and then reproducing it on paper or, or on computer which a lot of people can learn how to do. And then the other way is to draw out of my imagination, which is if I have something in my, in my mind's eye that I want to create, 
I need to know the rules of light, color, geometry, perspective, um, just have a certain sense of spatial awareness that I can translate into an image that, that can read for someone. So doing that for, for like 15 years, I was starting to like really understand light and color. And while I was doing that, I was also doing a lot of personal development, which meant uh, traveling inwards and trying to understand the mind, the psyche, feelings, um, all the esoteric and not like unconventional and uh, non-linear forms of uh, teachings that are out there. And I didn't know this was happening at the time, but there was a map of the psyche that was forming in my head. I was always trying to put things together in the same frame. And slowly this, this map started forming in my head. And as this map was forming, I was noticing the parallels between technology, what we're creating, and human life in the 21st century. So those parallels started putting together things where I'm like, oh, technology is right now an open portal. And our brains are kind of being fragmented by the amount of info. And I was like, where did this come from? And then I look back at how we learn. And a few generations ago, we would learn on blackboards, for example. So we, in our mind's eye, we would, like our great-grandfathers and grandmothers would see blackboards. And then as that evolved, it became whiteboards and books. But now it's tabs, which we can have over three, four dozen tabs. And we're learning to click and close these tabs very often, which is training our nervous system to break connections more than it is to keep connections. And with that comes an increase in all kinds of um, like neurological, what they're claiming disorders, uh, like ADHD and OCD and um, you know bipolar disorder, multiple personality disorder. All of these are people switching from one pattern to the next very quickly or being impulsive with one way of being and then switching to the other way of being. So this, this transition, everyone's going through it. And the one thing I noticed in, that those societies had in common was technology and mirrors. So technology is the main one I want to talk about, but I'd be more than happy to talk to you about mirrors as well, if you'd like to. <laughs> yeah, I would actually love to talk about technology. Before um, you begin with that, though, I just wanted to point out a few things I found particularly interesting and also run it by you to make sure I'm understanding you. And it seems like you've got a very unique perspective on how what we're learning and what we're consuming um, affects our outlook and our behavior because your background in, as you kind of put it, uh, not your exact words, but your background in making, you know, viewers believe uh, there was like a setting there rather than just a green screen. Um, yeah. That's you were a part of curating content for people and how it's and people don't realize this, but subconsciously at least, this, all this curated content uh, shapes our outlook. 
Um, mm -hmm. And since you were a part of that creative process, you know, you, you have a unique perspective on just how that happens, which is what's kind of led you here. Um, and I really, I re what I found profound in there was when you talked about how jumping around from all the tabs forces us to break connections. I had never really thought about that, but it, it has occurred to me just how much instant gratification we look for. Like, I don't think I can, I have the patience to wait online for something nearly as long as maybe my grandparents do because I'm so used to instant gratification because I break connection, break focus on one thing so quickly because I'm used to there being another one that I jump into. So, um, exactly. I, I thought really d did, uh, you know, kind of put a microscope to um, a very common. Well, something that's a very recent development and something that's causing uh, probably a number of problems for people and shaping society in weird kind of ways. We won't go down those rabbit holes, but I, <laughs> I did uh, enjoy hearing that. So thank you for telling me all about that. I definitely do want to get into the technology aspect. I mean, it seems like a pretty challenging you know, what what you're trying to do seems very challenging. I mean, a new operating system, we're used to a handful of them that are very well entrenched. And it's and that's a difficult thing to build. But since you, you know, said yourself, technology was kind of where you wanted to take the conversation, I'll just let you kind of take it away with uh, what you wanted to talk about in that regard. Cool. Thank you. And yeah, that's a great, uh, that's a great way of actually marrying it back. And the, the tabs and all that that are coming from these different operating systems. I want to make it very clear that I'm not trying to make an operating system that competes with uh, Microsoft or Apple. What I'm actually trying to do is build something that enhances both of them. So it's actually a layer that goes on top of any operating system to enhance it and to make it even more of what it already is. So I know we're in the age of disruptive technology but I want to create a company that creates harmonizing technology so that these different companies can actually connect and bring together the best of each so that uh, they both prosper. And that would maybe come from uh, one of my jobs that I worked a while, when I was much younger. I worked for Microsoft and they had a department that uh, did tech support for Apple. And while I was talking to people on Apple tech support, um, I would also get sometimes calls from Microsoft. And I noticed the incredible difference in the personalities between Mac users and PC users. And because I was kind of a, unaware of it before, and I know there's, you know, culturally there's a big, uh, there's a big divide, I was really looking at what is the difference between the personalities of the people. And uh, Mac users had a lot of artists and a lot of creatives. And PC users had a lot of very uh, scientific people. And so I'm like, what makes a person attracted to one computer versus the other? And then those markets, how do, uh, will they start merging together as they are now uh, without competing? And I, and I was thinking of competition a lot. And I believe we're now moving to the age of cooperation and not necessarily the age of competition anymore. But if we remove competition, it's not healthy either. So there needs to be kind of like a balance 
And what I realized is human beings need to start by choosing that balance themselves. So putting the human being first so that any human being, no matter what operating system they use, whether it's Linux, Windows, uh, yeah, Mac, anything, that they have uh, a tool where they can check, where they can put themselves first before they enter that operating system so that it fine tunes and hyper-personalizes it to their inner world, not just their, um, their outer world. That's, uh, thank you for explaining that. Um, I, you mentioned, you know, you want to enhance the operating system, which kind of fends off another question I was going to ask, because I, since you said it was an operating system, immediately the thought I had was you're trying to replace like uh, Mac or, um, or Windows, which was definitely a tall hill to climb, but it's a no. good thing. I, <laughs> it's a good thing you're not trying to uh, slay that beast. Um, no. But that does inspire a different question. Um, I mean, I guess how is that supposed to work? More so from like a business perspective. I mean, are you know, are you forging partnerships with them to kind of package this along with new uh, computers? Uh, is it something people buy separately, kind of as an add-on? I mean, how do you get them on board? Uh, is what I'm yeah. interested in learning about. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's something I've been brainstorming, concepting, writing about for the last four years. Um, this idea has been, I've been working on it for a good decade, uh, but it's a, it's a huge undertaking to say that right now all computers are actually disconnected. All companies and industries are actually kind of disconnected and we need something to connect them but not through systems, but through people. Meaning people are the bridge builders between these systems. And so uh, at some point I will have to pitch this to Microsoft and Apple, and I have to make sure I have a product that shows them um, how it enhances both of their systems and what it does for humanity in general to have um, companies and networks looking through a unifying lens instead of a competitive lens. So, yeah, well, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I think, I think I, was, I was done there. I'm trying not to go down too many rabbit holes, so go ahead. <laughs> Fair enough. No, it's um, definitely a daunting task. I mean, what you're doing is very grand in scope, so I can understand um, why you know, you're moving along very patiently and, um, you know, why there's still so much that remains to be done. Um, it's, but, you know, it's fascinating nonetheless. I mean, I, 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 for one, am fascinated by things that are so grand in scope that really seek to, uh, you know, revolutionize everything for everyday life and the less mundane parts of life. So kudos, I guess, is what I'm trying to choke out here. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, going forward, even though you've been at this for a while, I mean, there's still plenty of work to do, it sounds like. And mm -hmm. I guess I'm kind of curious, what are some of the biggest hurdles you still have to face? And really want to get down into what do you think could like kind of derail this or what have you, what are you concerned about that could? 
And I guess, what are you doing to get out ahead of that? Mm, great questions. Um, there's many things that can derail it, but I don't think the concept will will die, which is what I have full faith in, that I know there are other people that see the same thing that I see, which is that, um, in a way, technology and society mirrors the human psyche. And one of the problems with the human psyche is that it's not a problem, it's actually our design, is that we have our own free will on the inside. Meaning, I can never know what you're thinking, and you can't know what I'm thinking right now. But this this inability to see within another person is what we would, when we bond with each other, is what we would call intimacy. Like, into me I see. And it's the ability to see ourselves in another person. Right now, we've kind of outsourced that unconsciously to technology, to scanners and cameras and satellites. And all of these are now growing and starting to, um, to watch us from afar. So while that's going on, there's a ton of pleasure and opportunity that's being created. And so everyone is really happy with technology or is completely disgusted by it. They want to go the other way. So there's a lot of like going in different directions. Some people are going to Mars. Some people want to go to nature and never touch tech again. Other people want to go out into the sea. You know, there's so many, like humanity is basically fragmenting. And I'm there kind of in the middle going, how do I show the universal patterns of everyone? How do I show a system that doesn't outsource it to cameras to tell you what your patterns are? but that you're telling like computers and systems what you want out of life. So that was like, that's a huge like undertaking to almost transform the concept of technology. And so I've come up with like four ways of doing that. And I'm in a way doing the crazy thing of starting these four things at the same time. And so I've come across tons of hurdles. <laughs> not just with myself, but doing things, starting a, a brand new type of company, which I don't think exists out there. And, uh, you know, many people telling me, this is not the right way to do it. Like, you should do it the way it's proven. You got to get a small product out. You've got to get the, the following for that. All of these, this great advice that sounds very logical to me, for some reason, as I create this thing, it's, it's going in a completely different direction. So that, that's really my challenge between do I do what the best advice out there in the world is telling me to do, or do I continue to trust this very unique concept that's leading me in a new territory, which makes me feel like a pioneer, but I could also be an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's the risk I think all entrepreneurs kind of run. So uh, yeah. it's uh, fortunate that fortunately you're not alone in that. Um, it's kind of interesting, you know. You talk about basically a lot of the advice you hear is it's all around the 
you know, how superior agile is. I mean, it sounds like people are telling you to adopt the agile methodology, put out something small, continue to iterate, and you're um, maybe not waterfall is the right way to describe it, but it does sound a bit more waterfall like. And I think I remember when I was first learning about like agile and lean, one of the examples they pointed out of something that what waterfall was maybe a better fit for is something like an operating system. You know, so the you may be on to something, but that's nonetheless a very difficult place to be in, which I guess every entrepreneur to some extent experiences when you're hearing all this um, advice and you want to trust it and you don't know which is good, which is bad, but you've got to go against it. Um, and then always wondering, having a nagging thought in the back of your head, did I just ignore the advice that may save me here? Exactly. It's it's complete irony that I'm creating a system that should generate harmony for everyone and a clarity and orientation for everyone. And I'm kind of in the middle of it, dealing with the own disharmony in my own life and the disorientation and the confusion daily. <laughs> so I hadn't even thought about that, but it's almost yeah. something of a paradox. Disharmony a paradox. to create harmony, destroy to rebuild. Mm -hmm. So and honestly, that's the core of the issue is um, there is a paradox that's invisible to everyone. And that paradox, if I can share it, is the, the paradox of unity. Because as long as I think you can remember and anyone, we've always been told uh, unity is the way we have to unify. But what I've looked at with the map in my psyche is that there's a, there's a contradiction with unity, which is that normally we're always in a certain duality, a split between left and right, Republican, Democrat, uh, um, you know, conservative, liberal, uh, any decision we have to make, it's one foot after the other. You know, we're dual creatures. But it's very difficult sometimes to know whether it's right foot first is the right thing to do or left foot is the right thing to do. And everyone has to deal with that. And the idea of unity is kind of um, paradoxical because if we want to see that we are all one and that we're in, we have a lot of commonality, we actually have to go like, we have to almost take like an enlightened state we have to make ourselves um, our best selves to almost be at peace with the way that all of the human beings are. And what I think is that to get to that state where you can see the entire world as uh, unified and beautiful and, and uh, non-dual, you actually have to split yourself from your duality. You have to be a little bit above it. You have to be maybe even holier than thou to to see that we are all one and that is a very difficult position for most of the population to stay in most of us drop right back down into real life where things will piss us off and we'll go i like this i don't like that and we're immediately back in duality so all of these systems in the world right now everyone's kind of like warring over trust over um Take the vaccine, don't take the vaccine. It's a conspiracy, it's not a conspiracy. Um, like, 
Bitcoin versus real money. Like all of these worlds are kind of being split apart. And the core element of it is a paradox of duality. And so resolving that duality, I think, is very difficult. And I think that people can only do it for themselves first. And after they have that sense of peace within themselves, that's how when they act into society, it creates more harmony. Yeah, there's uh, the political divide, I think, is a good example to use because to highlight the contradiction or the paradox there, because we're united in these political tribes to oppose yes. others. So exactly. Yeah, it's it, it's uh, it's definitely very, um, I guess, paradoxical. I'll say I know I said that word a bunch of times, but I don't know how better to describe it. Same. <laughs> I haven't found a better word. So I, I, uh, I wrote a thesis on it called the, um, um, like basically the, the unity paradox. Mm. And that was how I came to like almost name myself a futurist. I didn't, I wasn't sure what I was doing or why I was doing it. And when I looked at people that were looking at systems in the future that could help human life, I was like, oh, that's pretty much what I'm doing. I'm trying to make a system that simplifies and enhances human life. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, one thing you said that spurred a thought, uh, what was it? Um, yeah, you said you made like it's been a long, lengthy learning process, and you feel like you've made some mistakes along the way, which is natural. I mean, every entrepreneur does within like the first week of when they get started, but especially as you've been doing this ten years, I think you said. So, um, yeah. it's been a constant learning and iterating process. I I'm curious to learn about what you think some of those mistakes were and uh, what they taught you. Oh, thanks. Ooh. Which mistake do I pick? Um, well, one of the mistakes that I made was uh, starting with, I would say, ah, this is hard. This, this is a difficult question. I'd also say it's difficult because when I pass the mistake, it doesn't become a mistake anymore. <laughs> do you know what I mean? When I get past a certain point, I don't really regret what I did. I'm kind of like, I learned so much from it that it kind of becomes like, like the failure, which was the initial trauma. I'm very good at transforming that into kind of like a gift. So the gift also comes with a certain amount of um, like new problems. Like it's kind of like I leveled up every time I made uh, what I thought was a mistake. And I think the first thing that I did that I thought was a mistake was uh, doing the first version of the prototype on Webflow. And Webflow is a is a web app that that has no code, so you can directly build your website and your business using just um, just images and blocks. So you don't need to know how to code. And I did a first version like that. And it was very complex. And the thing with complexity is that no one understood it. <laughs> and I was the only one that could kind of get the idea of it. And I became very frustrated with my inability 
to explain the complexity to others. So everywhere I was going, I was sharing with people and they were like, oh, I think I get what you're doing, but I can't repeat it. I don't know how to describe what it is. And I'm like, shit, I can't either. And so every time I shared it, it was different every single time. And when I tried the process of uh, coming with one line for it to be like, this is it, this is what it does, it changed. So what I thought was a mistake before was well, I thought it was a mistake to um, to keep it wide open, like open to ev evolution as it changed. And I tried to keep it down to just one thing. And it was a mistake because it was very hard to do that. And naturally, the work just busted open the first concept that I had. So it kept on growing and it's continuing to grow until it reaches a certain threshold. So really what I realized was I need to start building momentum instead of trying to um, block and like hold this idea down. Like just let it organically grow is what I learned from it. That's a great and important lesson to learn. And I like that you have, you see it through a lens of something of a regret minimization uh, framework, mm -hmm. I guess I'll say. And that, is it really a mistake? If uh, you learn so much from it, that's that's pretty. It becomes pretty valuable, and I think viewing it that way is important for entrepreneurs who are concerned about making mistakes. Um, and what, rather than be concerned about the downsides of them, be more excited about what you what you stand to learn from them. Exactly, exactly. I, I had to choose my own kind of principles. Um, there's many sayings out there like it doesn't matter if you're the best it only matters if you're first for example and then I have other principles in me that I'm like I don't know if that quite sits right with me because uh, I don't know if I'm on a race I don't know if I'm trying to get this first out there what I'm trying to do is get it out there and in doing that, I kind of, I would like to be almost invisible, like my job, like my map painting. My nervous system is wired to put out a vision or something that invites people. And I don't necessarily feel like I need to be in the front stage and center. So it is, it is difficult for me, but in terms of my own life, I can't see anything more valuable or more um, unique than doing something like this. So there's my own motivation that always uh, fulfills me in being like, if I don't do this, <laughs> what will I do? You know, I almost have no choice. It's just coming out of me. And that's, I guess, what really drives you, right? You just, it's a kind of a calling and quote unquote normal life. I guess just doesn't fulfill you the way that making something so revolutionary does. <laughs> yeah, it. you know, that's because I had the privilege of living in Montreal, Canada, and I grew up in a society that was really just safe and secure, and I had a lot of opportunities. And, you know, my, my parents immigrated to, to Montreal, and growing up in a in a school that was very multicultural 
I had a lot of experiences around me and not many people got the same chance as I did. So with that, I was able to get to a point in life where I had accomplished a lot of the goals that society, my family, my surroundings told me, if you reach these things, you'll be fulfilled. This is where everyone wants to go. So I had done a lot of that. And then I got to the point where I was almost about to get married, you know, have children, like that entire life. And I was very fortunate to um, go take like a personal development course, which was profound. And it, it kind of like shifted the way I saw things and allowed me to question, like really put a mirror in front of myself and look at all the uncomfortable angles and really question, do I know why I'm doing what I'm doing? Like, what is my life long-term vision? And do I really know how that'll come true? Like all those very difficult questions catalyzed something in me that shifted and said, this is not like, this was great until now, my, my life that I've had, but I want to do something completely new and I want it to also it be natural to my own life. So it just, it just opened up a whole new world for me that I could walk into. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of profound self-reflection there, which um, is a good, uh, good. I know you didn't necessarily intend it as advice for entrepreneurs, but maybe kind of like you said, ask yourself those difficult questions. Um, and uh, you know, would be good. Would be a good exercise for any entrepreneur, whether they're setting out or already along their journey, to understand that they're on the right path. Absolutely, um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are out there trying to solve a problem in the world, whatever that problem is. And that's what I respect the most about entrepreneurs: is that they're trying to solve something in the world to make the world a better place either for people or for communities or for humanity. And usually that problem that they're trying to solve, if it's connected to themselves, if it's connected to their past or something that happened to them, I've found that those people keep on going, meaning they have enough of their past to remind them that what they're doing is important for others and themselves in the future. And the entrepreneurs that are not necessarily linked to emotionally to what they're building sometimes find the process more um, vapid or unfulfilling in the long term. So it just becomes like a race, if you know what I mean. Indeed. Very well said, I think. Yeah. Really, entrepreneurship is about solving the world's problems. And if you know that's not what you're in it for, it may not be for you. Can't let the money blind you. Yeah, and money is changing now. Money is completely transforming from what it was, like what the concept of money was even when like I was born. Like Now it's not papers that are high-end quality printed that we all agree on. Do you know what I mean? It's changing now. It's becoming artwork. It's becoming a different type of currency. And there's a whole spectrum now that's opening up, which is incredible. Yeah, definitely uh, makes for an uncertain and exciting future. That's for sure. Um, so kind of building off what we were just talking about, 
at least, or what I mentioned, you know, around advice for entrepreneurs. I mean, do you have any other insights, uh, especially you've been on this journey for a while, anything you'd recommend entrepreneurs keep in mind or just know? Yeah, sure. I'm always encouraging people to recenter themselves and wherever they're at in their journey as an entrepreneur is to be able to connect to themselves first and foremost and to check in before they do whatever they're doing. And there's two ways to check in and to be kind of like to find your purpose. And um, I'll just mention one of them that's more unusual. I think there's a lot of stuff out there that's on purpose. The way that I found was kind of like in reverse. So it's a little unusual and maybe with for some of your listeners, it'll click with them. Um, the way I discovered to find my purpose uh, was by creating a possibility for my life. So instead of looking at myself as a person, as my identity, as um, exactly who I am, I was looking more at if I could be a possibility of service in the world or a possibility of discovery or a possibility of love. So I would always say this mantra, which was, um, from nothing, who I am is the possibility of service, discovery, and love. And every time I said that, I would wherever I'd find myself, either teaching a workshop or um, working on a project, it would allow me to kind of forget who I was and just do what was needed to be of service or discover something or just be love. And that kind of it kind of like had me running this really exciting life where I was basically achieving my goals without really realizing it. Like I was just in flow state very often. And doing that for many years, sooner or later, I got to the almost the end of what was just like um, almost blind possibility where I'm just going with the flow. And at some point behind me, I had left a trail of events and things that I had done that were very meaningful to me. And those stood out and they gave me a certain amount of momentum to start looking at this concept of technology. So it's kind of like my successes and the most fulfilling things in my life gave me a lot of direction, orientation to then turn around and move forward and then go, okay, now I need to really step into my identity. What am I doing in the world? Why am I here? And what game do I want to play with this life that I have? Yeah. Mm. Those are, I guess, those really difficult questions we were talking about before that it would uh, help entrepreneurs to really uh, f try to find the answer to. I think that real self, that journey of self-reflection, that'll help them understand what it is they want to put out into the world to make it a better place. Yeah, exactly. And when they don't know who they are, I would suggest that they serve, that they do whatever to be in service. And in that service, um, I can almost guarantee you, you'll meet the right people, or you'll make the right connections, or you'll get that little spark in you that goes yes to this thing. And that thing continues to grow. I, I think that's like a like a little muscle of light within people. And especially for entrepreneurs that whatever they're doing, 
the moment that gives them that little surge of energy and spark, that's what they should pay attention to and self-reflect on. Really that. Words to live by, for sure. I really appreciate you providing that insight and for telling your story, Jivan. It's certainly a very fascinating one. And what you're doing is definitely very enrapturing. And I really can't wait to see where you go with it. Um, thank so, you, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you again for joining me and telling your story. It's been delightful. And um, yeah, like I said, I can't wait to follow along and see everything you accomplish. Thank you so much, Eric. It was a, a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you for the, uh, the great high quality questions as well, too. It, uh, it helps me integrate as well as, I, as I'm on this journey. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you for the positive feedback. I really appreciate that. For sure, man. Till next time. Till next time.